what they got till it's gone. Like it or not, they're gonna love you. Try to do what's right. We're all here waiting for our silver invitation. Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm here with my co-host and star of this show, Sal Marinello. And this is The Hot Corner with Coach Sal, episode 174 in our network. Sal, welcome back to the show. I want to welcome you back before I talk to our audience here. We've got a lot of topics today. Well, Dave, there's just so much going on, and and, uh, I love sharing those ideas with you because you always get more out of the subjects and topics and kind of riff off of it. So it's it's a great... Uh, time to have this kind of a show where we could talk about all these things that kind of are intertwined. Yeah. Well, I think what people people are enjoying about this particular show is you're not afraid to jump. I mean, you obviously hit performance at a very high level, but not afraid to jump in the peripherals of things that are happening in society that are affecting sports directly and indirectly. And uh, one one guy DM me and said, it sounds like you two are just having a phone conversation. We just get, get to listen in. And I guess that's a compliment. Yeah, that's great. You know, but um, I'll get to get to our audience real quickly. Uh, not to pass by them, but we have we've eclipsed seventeen thousand subscribers, a little over seventeen thousand one hundred. Just want to encourage you guys to download, listen, like, subscribe, and then so we can battle the analytics of the podcast world. Make sure you rate and review. We are in seventy-two countries right now, grassroots all the way to major league front offices. So we are hitting the ears that need to hear us. Uh, we'll keep providing you with great content every week. We'll keep pushing the norms. You can get us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher. Please hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Yes, yesterday, we're going to touch on a little bit today. I, I touched on the Riley Gaines swimming incident. I, I had gotten asked a bunch of questions over the last month and finally decided to sit down and, and write about it. So I'll share a little bit of that on the show as we talk about it. You know, all we're trying to do is build a better baseball IQ, but try maybe kind of an awareness and one thing I've been reminding the audience this week with our show, I think they, they know this, but just be prepared to embrace the uncomfortable truth um, in sports and life through this show. And as a program, we have no time for the, for the comfortable lies that are being told. So we're going to hit on some of those today. So Sal, welcome back. Where do you want to get started? You want to start with the New York Yankees, a little, little soft baseball and then get into life? Sure. Why not? Yeah. Hey, you know why? You know what? That's good, Dave, because it, it shows you that we're, we're falling apart. We've accepted, I'm going to say, not just mediocrity, but ignorance at almost every level of society. It wasn't too long ago where I really felt that sports were the last, I hate the term because it sounds like it's kind of pompous, bastion of true competition, and it really isn't. And it's not even a, uh, it's not even a bastion of excellence anymore when you see just the nonsense that is being conducted, whether it's on the field, off the field, how the games are being changed because of incompetence at some level of either athletics or management of the athletes or whatever. Uh, So now we're at the point where the collapse of what's going on outside of sport has now showed up in sport. No, you're right. It's sports is a microcosm of the world. And it's it's becoming unfortunately it used to be a place where the every man could go and you know just lose themselves for a little bit and now it's become a watering hole for the rich elite to, and it's it's really being ruined the, the game bit by bit all the games are bit by bit being torn apart so um, 
our our beloved New York Yankees. I know you're you're a Mets guy, but right in your backyard. I mean, year after year, these guys are falling apart. We I, we, we, I think we shared that list of I don't know if it was 15 guys, but since then, Judge has gone on the the injured list, and it's it's becoming the rule now where it's okay. Yeah, um, obliques, whatever, whatever, whatever. I'll let you tap into it, but. How much of that is max velocity, both as a pitcher and a hitter, and then the improper? I know it's obviously improper training, also, but starting out with the max velocity stuff. Okay, so let's. I want to take a little step back and not be quick to blame any person that's in charge of these athletes' development when they get to the pros, because what we're seeing is the manifestation of all these years of overtraining, improper training, too much baseball, and particularly these arms blowing out. I think we could start with the most visible evidence, the most obvious evidence are all these arm problems. And I think by and large, we're seeing this generation, you know, and it's been probably, you you're, you have a better uh, line on it, better idea for that time frame than I do. But I'm going to say for the last 10 years at least, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think we've had an, a generation or an era of ball players that played baseball all year round. And I'm not just talking about your warm weather athletes. I'm talking about every baseball player because of the advent of indoor facilities, clubs, travel ball, whatnot. These guys are playing baseball all year round. So there, there is only so much you can do to undo a lot of that damage. That's, I think, a I think that's the biggest thing we're dealing with now. And now I think what's happening is by the time they get to college and they're now put through another ringer, so to speak, of training, more miles are being put on the body. And then they get to the pro game. And I think it's a reflection of the the athletes want to work hard, but someone needs to put the brakes on these guys. Not, you know, it's not because um, that's not the right way to say it. Just because these athletes are high level and can do almost anything in their training doesn't mean they should or they need to. So what we're seeing is that is the I would say that's three quarters of it. I I would think there's a lot that can be done at the high level to mitigate the risk of injury. But I think what we're doing is putting our head in the sand to that reality and just plodding ahead with these workouts and these training sessions and this weight room nonsense that's making it worse. No, I think, I think that's a, a responsible way you put it. Cause you know, and you halted me a little bit too, cause I was getting ready to jump right on the, the, uh, the Yankees, the way they handle stuff, but you're right. It's a, it's a, it's a byproduct of years of abuse and years of mismanagement and years of, uh, I guess this has been a generational thing with the max velocity, the improper lifting, the playing all the time, not taking a rest, not playing multiple sports. So, um, yeah, it just didn't happen last week. So that's, that's a good point. That's, that's why I love you on this show. Cause you're, uh, you, you just gave me credit for having a, a kind of a, a different lens, a, a good lens into it. But, you know, I think that's a mature way to look at it. And, and I think that it's someone somewhere at some level, whether it's, we get back to an era of ball player, who's going to maybe be my age, your age that is going to get back into working with these teams and actually someone's going to listen to them. We talked about that article I wrote years ago about the corresponding um, compare or the comparison to b- building bridges and 
bridges if bridges failed at the in the same way these baseball players are failing and forgetting that we had a history of knowledge about how to create and how to build a better baseball player and ignoring it. I think these teams need to forget about this. Analytics, I don't care. You do whatever you want with statistics and the shift and positioning, but go back and look at what teams used to do to develop players from a physical standpoint. And I think we could get back on the right track. There was, there was some validity to the baseball coach of my era, not wanting you in the weight room because the weight room at, th at that time was all the worst things that you could do really for baseball. It was bench press. It was leg press. It was squat, all these machine work, all this machine work that wasn't helping you intuitively. Those coaches knew something and I've said it, it doesn't look like the sport. So it really should have a very small role in preparation for the sport until we get back to someone or until we get to the point where someone's going to realize we can go back and learn from that generation, we're not going to fix this problem. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Do you, do you remember, I mean, you're in the business now with performance, but I remember coming through high school and that was in, you know, the, the mid to late, well, I guess the late eighties, early nineties and lifting was still somewhat taboo in terms of, uh, hey, it's going to affect your shot. It's going to affect your swing. And uh, I was a little reluctant to it. I just, I did things for my legs. I did things, chin-ups, push-ups, things like that, but uh, didn't get heavy into it in college. And, um, you know, how much, how, how far back do you think we should go with that? I mean, that was a canon. I remember growing up with that. Don't lift. It's going to ruin your swing. It's going to ruin your shot. Well, I think, again, when you, we talked about this too, the definition of lift, and, and we'll, we'll just say, which when the bodybuilding, powerlifting, world started to infringe upon the athletic and the performance world that we're having these problems. Certain sports, it's not as obvious that it's an issue. Baseball, I think, is the one, one of those sports, and basketball, I would agree. Any rotational sport, any sport that you throw, you know, even a, uh, a lacrosse, which is rotational in the shot motion, certain lifts are not great for that motion and, and overemphasizing lifts of that nature is going to just become detrimental. So it, it becomes the the concept of lifting itself isn't bad, but there's a lot of definitions of lifting. And if we're going to use the traditional sense of these moves that people still insist upon, including in athletes workout programs, we're never going to get away from these problems. Yeah, no, no, I agree. And, and so kind of going circling back to the Yanks, I'm assuming, you know, whoever is in charge of them, their strength conditioning, I'm sure they all have personal guys too. Just like they have a hitting coach with the Yankees, they all have their own personal guys, pitching coach, personal guy. Um, I mean, kind of, so it's, a, it's a collective effort over probably a decade or decades that has contributed to their mass exodus to the injured list. Is that, is that safe to say? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. I mean, it's, it's, and, and you know what happened? It, it goes back to that concept of, fragility and, and anti-fragility in the book that was written by Taleb that we've developed these systems that are so complex and try to take into account every possible option as a result of this, which you can't, you can't possibly do that. As a result of that philosophy, we wound up building these more fragile athletes because something that disrupts the norm now becomes a uh, stimulus that 
is not able to be contended with. They're not robust. They're not resilient. They're fragile. And it's because of this training and it's because of the overtraining and overuse. It, ironically, I was just talking about that with somebody yesterday, both about baseball, basketball, and I don't know if I see it as much in football, but you know, the Paul George made the comment, he's with the Clippers and he's been often injured since he had that, uh, that tragic leg uh, compound fracture uh, a few years back. But he, he attributes the injuries in NBA, the massive injuries where guys can't even play 60 games anymore to the fact that they don't practice hard, which is ironic because they're all about load management. And as I talk to baseball guys, same things. They don't take infield. They don't take BP. Uh, they're not out there working on the baseball movements. And it goes back to what you say. They get caught up in these really intricate trainings that have nothing to do with the actual skill or very little to do, I should say, with the skill of baseball. And they're getting hurt because of those. Yeah, I think these calf strains, that's a great example of a, a muscle group that is not being trained properly because when they're exploding in their sprinting or any kind of movement skill on the field, they're just not used to working at that level of intensity often enough that it becomes normal for them. It actually becomes not normal for them if the bulk of their training, I don't know, Dave, you were again involved at the higher level. What percentage of time is spent actually playing a game versus training? So if, if it's, what would you say if you had to put a percentage of time training and practicing versus time actual pl actually playing a game, how would you split that? Well, you, let's see, you get, you play, let's say if you're talking basketball, you're playing two games a week, baseball, probably four to six. You're looking at about, I don't know, eight to 10 hours, let's just say over the time, maybe six, six to 10 basketball, probably three hours, baseball, you know at the college level, two hours plus, so maybe 12. But practice-wise, you get 20 hours of on-court training, which is included with practice um, in addition to your lifting. So I would say conservatively, you're looking at games to practice. I don't know, games are probably 25%. Okay. So three, if three-quarters of your training, even if it was closer to 50-50, if half of your training or half of your time spent – was in a manner that wasn't consistent with your your sport. That's not going to help you. You're, it's it's actually going to be detrimental. So now in, in, extrapolate all the volume that's in these programs on top of just the actual time spent. What they do with that time in a training session, and how much of that is not appropriate for the endeavor, and then that is going to explain a lot about these injury problems. Yeah. Well, no, I think that's a good. Uh, I want to try to get it, get this topic in today too. I know you would send it to me, and it, it doesn't have to do with baseball. We're kind of segueing into this Riley Gaines, uh, Megan Rapino, Brittany Griner. Uh, so we're staying in in the sports realm before we hit the world. Um, you had sent me uh, something on social media, and I actually wrote something about Riley yesterday, based on I must have got four hundred questions on that over the last month, but. Um, Talk, talk a little bit about uh, Rapino. Hopefully, I'm not mispronouncing your name. Uh, I'm never sure if it was Rapino or Rapino, but it's I'll call her Megan. Yeah, and, um, but it's no no disrespect intended. But the uh, you know what, what was that about? That well, you know, I've said we've talked about this on the other show, and we my feeling was, 
that men coaches that I know, I, the vast majority of the, of the coaches I know, even female coaches that I know, don't, I, I would say I haven't heard one coach that I know that thinks that a, a man that's transing to a woman, a woman competing with woman, women is a good idea. And my sense was until these women got out in front and started fighting it, the men could have, it should be cautious because of how our society is so obsessed with canceling people and what, and parsing words and looking at every little thing someone says and in an attempt to ruin them and make it political that I could understand why men are hesitant to take the lead. And some women have taken the lead against this movement and want women's competitions to be protected and have been attacked. And it's shocking to me to see Billie Jean King and this Rapineau and Brittany Griner coming out and standing on the side of the men transing to trans. I'm sorry, transitioning to women and competing with women and how it's not seen as a negative for women and women losing opportunities to not only compete, but be able to reap the benefits of their years and years of training to get to a high level. And, and, and it doesn't matter, though. It doesn't matter if it's a JV track meet or if it's the NCAA swimming championships or professional sport. It's, it's not fair. And it's not the same. And anyone who's coached and worked with males and females in sports and in the weight room, quote, and on the training field recognizes there's a huge difference between the two. And I think now when this, there is someone, I know I saw Martina Navratilova came out hard against it too, and she was vilified. I mean, if you, you can't pick up another, you can't pick another more iconic woman's leader in sports and outside of sports than Martina Navratilova. And she was vilified for her position and has been vilified for her, for her position. So I think it's time for the people to kind of get behind these these women willing to take the flack and push back. Yeah, I, I think Martina, Sage Steele has been very vocal about it with ESPN. She's been marginalized. And I, I commented on this on Facebook and I got, I got a great response. And I hope people continue to keep it at the forefront. And I was very quick to say in the beginning, you know, I'm not sure that I'm qualified to be the spokesperson for all women athletes or women in general. And I said that kind of in jest, but from a pure science standpoint, since our sports world loves science, I would have a hard time finding somebody arguing against me to say that a post-pubescent biological male, that they're going to be stronger than a female. I mean, that's, that's the testosterone alone. And I tried not to get too scientific at the risk of, you know, the doctors coming in, but I was prepared for that if they did. But Sage Steele got canceled with ESPN. Um, you hit on a, a very important problem uh, first as we're unpacking this. Anytime we speak out in disagreement right now with something that the media feels is controversial, immediately, immediately the offended side plays the role of the victim. And then that person gets, they, they missed, they missed it, the whole point and they start just attacking for some, you know, whatever, whatever their ism is, they start attacking. So I like that point that you made. I guess it's a long way of, well, and then it goes back to what we've talked about across the board, whether it's nutrition, whether it's training, whether it's 
things that have occurred in our history, whether it's this issue, whether it's stuff about the vaccine, we're, we're being presented with things that we know as, as being data indicating certain things. And in the face of that data, there are people and movement to tell you that that data means the exact opposite or doesn't mean what it's showing you. And again, there was a skit, I believe, on Living Color years ago where Jim Carrey portrayed an Eastern European female athlete oh, yeah. <laughs> competing against other women. And it was ridiculous. And now there are clips that you see on social media. And until you maybe listen to the accompanying soundtrack or read the uh, text accompanying the post, you're not sure if we're seeing something that's supposed to be a joke, that's supposed to be parody, or an actual competition where there is a trans woman among non-trans women and how it's portrayed. To me, you can't now, you cannot now tell if something is a joke or if it's legitimate because of how ridiculous some of these circumstances are. And and the other thing, here's just a question. I haven't had anybody explain to me how there's no trans men competing with men. Just, I just want to know why that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a, that, that point alone, you hit a couple of key things. Uh, you hit the, the first, the numbers, you know, we say the people make the numbers say anything to fit their point. They're doing it with words too. You know, they're, whoever's in power gets a chance to say and define, for instance, in this case, woman, however they want, which is, which is kind of, I don't want to say it's funny. It's, it's, it's ironic because not a single person on the side that favors this, you know, seeing transitioning into transitioned individual going from man to woman playing sports in that realm, they cannot define what a woman is. And I find that quite comical that they want to control the narrative. And this is, I guess, and want to get your opinion on this. My biggest bother with this, I have two daughters that play sports. Um, They both compete against boys. Fine right now. But there's going to come a time where that, you know, may separate. My wife was a very good Division I college basketball player. Um, To me, what's going on, I look at it as a male looking at this. There's no greater expression of my mind, negativity, hatred, hostility to any group of people than to try to erase their existence. And to me, that's what's going on right now. And um, with women, they're trying to erase the existence of women. I'm concerned that if more people, women in general, do not speak up, that we're going to look at the potential of an entire category being minimized to just a mere construct of somebody's imagination. That's scary. And that's probably my biggest fear with my daughters. Um, you know, as they embark upon the high level sports, that was kind of what my question was about yesterday. What fears do I have? That's my biggest fear. They're, they're erasing an entire category. That's insane. Yeah. Well, I think you're seeing that that's an obvious example, but it's happening across the board. It's just, this is now the cause of the day that everybody seems to for some reason, push. And again, we're, we're being, I don't know what the word is, seduced might be the wrong word, but we're being seduced into thinking that this is a bigger portion of the population than it really is. And again, we're spending way too much time on this issue. And because for whatever the agenda is, this effort is being made, whether it's Bud, you know, Anheuser-Busch, 
whether it's these other companies using spokespeople from the trans community and pushing it down, you know, our collective consciousness or, or pushing it in front of us constantly that you wonder what the what the real agenda is here. I don't see how you can on one hand, we just had this whole Title IX celebration. You're watching, you can't watch this college sporting event without a tribute to Title IX, which is great. And at the same time, we're seeing women being pushed, you use the term marginalized, pushed to the margins by these men that haven't even fully transitioned yet. I think one of the most amazing parts of this Leah, William Leah Thomas from Penn Stories is he had full male genitals. He was not really doing much to transition other than to identify as a woman. Total farce. It's a total farce. That That's a farce to me. And that is also treading in dangerous territory. But what we're doing, and it's been a little digression here, there's a Dr. McHugh from Johns Hopkins who was part of the first team to handle this transsexual trend where men were transitioning to women and women to men. He was part of the team at Johns Hopkins. He's a psychologist, psychiatrist who was part of the surgical team that did these first sex change operations who has come out and said they made a mistake and that these cases were we what we wound up doing was treating mental illness with the cosmetic surgery and the outcomes again indicate that the the happiness that these uh people suffer or don't have or the, the the problems these people suffered from before continue through their transition and after and in many cases are worse so he's been vilified and we're again ignoring the facts that are in front of us. We're being told this: what we're seeing is not the truth. We're being told that it's normal for a man who wants to be a woman to be allowed to compete with women, and that the women are the ones that have to make accommodations. It's totally ludicrous. Yeah, and if there was no difference, there would not be an NBA and a WNBA. There would just be basketball. There would not be men's soccer, women's soccer. There would just be soccer. So. Um, you well, know, I have another one for you. Women's lacrosse is played with completely different rules than men's lacrosse. There's no contact in it, right? Correct. There's no helmets. There's a. There was a fight to have them that people didn't want them to wear goggles. All of that is nonsense too. But again, it's this crazy mixed signal, hypocritical. I don't know how to better describe it. Situation where. We're up is down and down is up. We're being told one thing and the actions are completely opposite. So we're, we're in a mess there and I don't see how we're going to get out of that either. Uh, to be yeah, honest. I got one more and I, I use the word lightly comical um, worldly issue that kind of ties us up. But this, this, the side that insists there is no difference just came out and you probably saw this in the media and, and claim that crash test dummies are, um, I think they use the word sexist. Um, that the history of crash. T- so Mayor Pete over our transportation throughout the country has now put billions into creating male crash test dummies and female crash test dummies because the bodies are different. He said, so it's amazing how it, they, they, they just kind of talk themselves in the circles when they're dealing with this issue. Interesting. Yeah. They're different, but they're not different. They're different when they say they are, when it benefits them or their agenda, there's a difference between the sexes, but 
when it doesn't benefit the agenda or there's another goal in mind, they change their mind. So there you that go. Was, that was my point number two yesterday, that whoever's in power gets to decide, um, you know, gets to decide what fits their narrative. It's kind of like kindergarten garden arguing. Right? So we're going to, here's what's going to happen. And I don't know when, but we're going to come to a point where it's pushed too far. When we get into an, a contact sport where that's real contact. MMA, it happened already. Oh, okay. But no one, MMA is not a sport. That's a, that's kind of a circus and it's, it's an excuse for, well, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but that's not a sport. I'm talking about boxing. I'm talking about football. I'm talking about some other sport where some, a woman's going to, a woman is going to get hurt by a trans woman and there's going to be a dominance level that is too great to ignore something, something's going to happen because it always does in these cases. And it's just a matter of time to, to figure out when it's going to happen. Yeah. And I no sport or no sport. If you get a chance to take a look at that online, they had, I mean, the, the lady who got beat in the MMA match fractured her skull. I mean, it was just, it was ridiculous. And, and we're, we're talking about people parodying it. Like Jim Carrey, Bill Burr in his standup, did this three, four years ago was talking about, and he'd used MMA and he used all this stuff before it happened, but he did bring up, I mean, Serena Williams is probably one of the most powerfully built female athletes that I've seen regardless of sport. And she got crushed by a transitioning male to female. And when the person was a male, they were ranked like 490th in the world. And then they beat her, the number one player in the world handily. Um, I mean, to me, that is just, Anybody that wants to argue, just no words, close your ears and watch that. And and that to me is evidence enough. When I was in high school, a classmate of mine won the state singles championship here in New Jersey. And he played a woman who was a U.S. Open champion in an exhibition and beat her 6-1. So you're talking about a high school junior who's not even on the world rankings yet, beating one of the top five, three women's players in the world. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the, the recognizing there's a difference between the sexes and to ignore it is again at, at your own peril. So we beat a dead yeah. horse with that already. Yeah. We got, which direction you want to head next now? We got, uh, was there something that you wanted to segue into? I know well, we got- I sent you that if there was an interesting article this morning, offensive lineman, Taylor Lewan uh, from the Titans who is, yeah. who suffered an ACL tear. I believe yeah. it was 2020 came back and played in 21 and, and retore it and has had all kinds of other physical problems with that knee. He's suing Dr. James Andrews, who's the famous orthopedist who made his fame with the Tommy John, uh, with the Tommy John surgeries and is the uh, orthopedist to the stars. Exactly. Uh, Luan's suit contends that now this is going to be, I I don't know if we'll ever see the, the details or if it's ever going to get beyond this kind of stage, but he contends that the surgery was done incorrectly and that cartilage in his knee was damaged as a result of the surgery. People who haven't gone through the ACL surgery, uh, I think I've mentioned it on the show. My, my, one of my sons had it. Your son did. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and people think about Tommy John, there were, there was this idiotic thought that, well, guy, guy's velocity improves after Tommy John. So why don't we do a preventative prophylactic uh, Tommy John surgery to make, people throw faster, total nonsense. People have no idea what they do to the knee to 
get the repair done for the ACL. And there's a lot of stuff that's going on in there. And the thing that's funny is you'll hear so-and-so goes in for a surgery and it was successful. Well, the, the, the definition of success in that case is not any indication that they're going to come back and be able to perform at the level they were. They just mean the surgery went as planned. The person came out of it. There were no complications. There's a whole lot more to surgery than just the actual procedure. What I would like to see in this suit, if it ever gets to that point, is does the player make any claims that he was rushed back? Because people who I know in the field who are way smarter than me feel this eight, nine, 10 month period to get back from ACL surgery is irresponsible. Is it too too quick of a time period to come back? Yeah, because there's a lot of things that are going on there. There, In some circles, this ACL injury is, is being or is considered it's a it's a it's a neurological situation as much as it is a physiological situation in other words your nervous system changes as a result of this surgery and the process and the tear and it is not an eight to nine to ten month situation now that you could always point to the exceptions adrian peterson is one that leaps out that he came back and was back real quickly and had come back and done well. But for every guy like that and woman that comes back quicker, quickly, there's 10, 20, 30 stories of retear, lack of performance after the surgery, other consequences from the surgery. You know, arthritis is a guarantee at some point as, as short as five years after because of what go, what the knee goes through both from the injury and the surgery itself. So that, that'll be an interesting story to watch. Yeah. And I, I hadn't read anything about, it. I just saw it this morning when you popped it my way, what was his time frame of coming back? Do you remember? In the well, he, he tore it in 20 and he was, he came back and played in 21 and then tore it again. So it's, I, I don't have the dates in front of me, but I'm going to bet you he was on the field I'm going to see if I can find it real quick. I bet I'm going to bet you he was on the field less than a year from when he tore it. Yeah. It, um, and going back to the point you made about the Yankees, where which you were, you know, I, I complimented you on being the mature one in the conversation with it. Can that be applied to this as well, where maybe it's not so much the surgery as it was to this guy did so much damage over time. I'm sure he's, if he's a lineman, I mean, that's straight up powerlifting right there. Uh, they're, they're tossing plate upon plate on their back to try to get that drive. Could that be a possibility here as well? Well, sure. I mean, see here, football's different. What I will say, I'll give you a quick story. I When I was a strength coach at Manhattan College, we had a really good women's volleyball player who had not played basketball since high school. Great athlete, six-foot three-ish, I forget exactly, big woman, very good athlete. And I remembered having a discussion with the basketball coach saying, be careful when she comes out, don't go too hard and make sure you're careful about about how she does things because her position in volleyball, it's a very, I'm not going to say one-dimensional, but it's a much narrower range of movements, directions, than it is in basketball. And just be careful in those first, you know, couple of days, a couple of weeks of practice. 
Well, sure enough, first couple of days of practice, high-intensity drills, shuffling, shuffling to run, her knee buckles, she tore her ACL. They repair it, and she tries to come back. But that's a case of an athlete who, because of her – and she had some movement pattern issues that you could see that would be of a concern in the short term, and you want to, again, take care into getting them adapted into their new setting, into the new environment. That – would raise that raised some added concerns for me on top of the fact that she's playing a different sport. In that case, non-contact movement, not on turf, so you can't say her foot stuck. It was just ship. She was shuffling in a drill to sprint at high speed. The knee went. It's a case of a movement pattern that's not conducive to the sport. So you go and repair that ACL. The surgery could be a success, but until you address that movement pattern, which her body has it's a learned skill, you're, you're going to run the risk of that tearing again. With these football players, there's so many contact related, especially in linemen, they get rolled up on. Now, I'm not familiar with Luan. They said he, he ruptured his ACL in his right knee during a win. It doesn't say if it was contact or non-contact. If it's a contact injury, it's a little different because it's not per, the movement pattern that's an issue. And again, if the foot sticks in the turf and it's one of those like Ty, uh, Kyler Murray had, like so many athletes have had, it's still it's a different concern. But he he did rupture that knee in that ACL in 2020 and in October and played 13 games the next year in 2021 before re-injuring the knee. So he was back on the field less than a year after he did that. The body just doesn't heal that fast, especially, like you said, when you take into consideration all the training and all the rehab and all of the wear and tear that exists from his career before that. And and again, what are the movement patterns if it was something that was contributory? Yeah. And you, you say that all the time, and I think it's it's one of the, my favorite points that you make, that you're training the nervous system. And I never thought about that when you sent me the article. I've never thought about it with the ACL injury. Um, expound upon that a tiny bit, because I think that's the key point that, that people miss with those injuries. They just think it's a, it's a physical, get some flexibility back, uh, get the strength back in it, let the, you know, the tendons and ligaments heal. But what, what other things should be happening during that longer than eight month period? Well, here's the thing. There's, there's, it's such a complex mechanism. And again, I'm not an expert at it. I understand conceptually, but here's, here's a point that people should think about. When you tear your ACL, what's the L stand for? Ligament. They don't replace a ligament with another ligament. They'll take a tendon, whether it's from your hamstring, whether it's from your patella, and use that. So that has to, during that period of rehab and recovery, that former tendon has to then take on the responsibilities, for lack of a better term, of a ligament. And there is a process that that tissue goes through that it actually converts from <clears throat> a tendon to a ligament. And really? it's not instantaneous. And it, the, the properties change because of the nature of the force that's placed on it and how the surgery is done. You know, when they, when they do that, if, if you read the article about Lawan's injury, when you get an ACL surgery, what they do is they drill a hole. It's called the tunnel from the top of the one bone across into the other, and they thread the new ligament or the new tendon that's going to be a ligament in through that. And they anchor it, and there's this whole series of things they do. That's the common, that is a common 
method of repair. It's been the method that most, I think it's used in all cases. There might be some other ones they're experimenting with. I believe that's the common method. Um, and as an aside, that's why when you have a young kid, that's why it's a disaster when you have a kid growing through, going through puberty who tears their ACL, their growth plates are open and the sites on which this tunnel is drilled have to be altered because it goes through what is a growth plate in a young athlete, which is a, which is a closed growth plate and an older athlete. So if a young kid tears their ACL, it's a completely different deal. And it's actually much more of a problem than when you're an older athlete. So, so that, that alone um, would give you reason to believe we can't get these, we shouldn't be getting these athletes on the field in nine months. And it, it makes an even greater point working back. We just talked about it earlier about these athletes not getting a rest and um, abusing their bodies earlier and improper training earlier. Something like that happens quickly to somebody's child. That's that's detrimental, not just to their sports success, but to their, their uh, human success. Because, boy, when you said that growth plate situation, I, I got shivers up my spine thinking about that. That's... Uh, that to me is frightening. That, if that doesn't frighten our audience to take it easy on your kids, I don't know what does. Yeah, if you have a kid, a son or daughter who has not gone through, finished their maturation process, and they tear their ACL, the surgery is completely different because of that growth plate issue. So that, so there's just one thought. You know, if you're, if that, if that gives pause to somebody, and we could save one kid from either being rushed back too soon or, you know, doing something that might put them at risk for an injury. And I think the biggest risk of injury is all the work because fatigue is a major factor in these injuries, whether it's the hamstring itself, whether it's general fatigue, fatigue is a huge factor, especially in these non-contact injuries. Yeah. A little, little bio one-on-one here and correct me now, ligaments are bone to bone, tendons, bone to muscle. Is that right? right? Yeah. But uh, you got time for one more topic? We're yeah. Okay. Like I guess on that biology, we get into a little biological warfare here. Um, you sent me an article to biological warfare on America, Americans by America. What was that about? So we're, again, think of the, I don't know if it's, I hate, you know, if it, this is a big word. If it's, it's the incongruity of the situation, right? Where- well, we're being told a man who wants to be a woman can compete against women and that's normal and women should deal with it. On this story, it is this flood of illegal immigrants coming across the border without any health checks, without any concern for, do they have AIDS? I'm not AIDS. I'm sorry. Do they have COVID? Do they have, well, do they have AIDS? Do they have tuberculosis? Do they have polio? Tuberculosis and polio are exploding around the country and it's from this unchecked population that is streaming into the uh, and streaming into the country if you're coming here from Europe or from any of these same countries and you're coming legally and you're flying in or going through a port or going through the border you have to be screened you have to have a health screening you just can't come in you have to be cleared well we have exponentially more people every day coming into the country that are not being screened and are spreading diseases that we haven't seen here in generations, polio and TB. Well, TB has been here, but it's usually 
not as rampant as it's been recently. So we're infecting people in this country or being infected from other people that are here because we don't have this screening process. And there's conditions in these migrant, they're calling them migrant centers that are adding to the problem. They're, they're supposed to be quarantining them. They're not, they're walking amongst the general population in, in crowded areas in highly populated areas. And again, they have found polio cases of polio are, are being discovered in New York city, which hadn't seen a case in, I forget, 50 years. They thought they had eradicated it. And TB, which was always on the fringes, is now becoming more commonplace. Yeah, no, it's uh, I I had a good idea of what that was about, but you articulated it well. You kind of tied it up in a bow. And and I always said one last topic for you, but we we were on this early on with the vax stuff. We had another high-powered, young African-American, and it's a female athlete now, uh, three-time medalist. Was it uh, Tori Bow? Yeah. Passed away unexpectedly. A sprinter. I think she ran the, the last leg of the the relay for USA. But three time medalist, thirty two years old, just passed away. Um, I know we can't speculate. They said no foul play, but you know, in in today's athletic world, they're supposedly forcing these these athletes to to get vaxxed. Any thoughts on on her passing? We don't want to disparage in no, any way. It's just you know when you, they, they they had to have a welfare check on her because she hadn't been seen. They went and found her, and she was dead. So you know how often in your life have you heard that? We're hearing this multiple times a week. Whether it's a celebrity, whether it's a non-celebrity, whether it's an athlete or non-athlete, these stories are becoming commonplace. There, it, it's again when you look at the data that's coming out about how the vaccine trials were conducted, how the data has been kept from people, how data was fudged and all the other games they played. When you read these stories and there's no mention of how they passed, you have to think that. And it's unfair because I know there were a couple of cases where I know there was at least one high, relatively high profile college athlete was found dead. And that was the euphemism. It turned out I knew someone familiar with the story. It was a suicide. But those things, it is it's unfortunate, but that should be part of the story. I know you want to be sympathetic to the family, but there's a lot of other things we find out in the course of news that may be uncomfortable to the people involved, but it serves a purpose. And especially now there's this heightened sense of concern for what what's happening with this sudden adult death syndrome that you kind of need to be told why these people are dying. Yeah. No, I mean, I've I've been warning the show this week. I've done it indirectly, but we're going to hit uncomfortable truths here because we're we're getting kind of tired of the comfortable lies out there, both in and out of sports. I I lied. I I keep saying one more, but you kind of touched on this, the Harvard study that we were, we were chatting about where was it? 48% of people admitted for COVID. What, What was the, uh, the ending of that. Well, it was, they were, they said they were admitted for COVID and they were just admitted with COVID that had a much more serious condition attached to it, which was, we, we had heard that stat day from the beginning yeah. and it was just pushed away and ignored. I mean, when we heard those stories from Italy with the massive number of people who were dying originally from COVID, COVID, then it came out in relatively short time period that 
90 plus percent of them had three or more comorbidities. And that's been kind of the case. So again, this is just another incident, incidents of what we were being told was said by conspiracy theorists that actually wasn't a conspiracy theory. It turned out to be true. Yeah, the, the reverse scientific method. It's, it's ironic that we see it in baseball, right? The, sometimes they use the analytics. They decide what, what they want to prove, and they just line everything up to prove that number. We went through that with, with COVID as well, where they, they wanted to prove that COVID was deadly, and no matter what you came in for, you had COVID, basically. Um, yeah. But uh, par, uh, almost an hour you gave us today. What, what, what kind of parting shots you want to leave the audience with today? Uh, I want you to think about something. Again, I'd like to tie it back to training. It's something I, I came across in one of the books I always refer to about sprinting and agility. And it's one of the cornerstones of my uh, of my training philosophy. In this book, when, when you're when you're looking at before I get to the point, when you're watching these videos, I, I constantly get videos of high high level athletes in their training. And it's always this crazy, intense stuff they're doing, agilities, jumping, lifting with weights. There's very little coaching going on. Now, regardless of what goes on when the video camera or the phone is not filming or videoing, we don't see if there's any coaching going on. And from my experience and what this author of this book, Franz Bosch, points out is that in professional sports, the very first step in the process of working with an athlete should be deep analysis, deep analysis of their movement patterns, which is something I talk about almost every show. And that's something they don't do at the high level. And the point of that is you've already got, say, a Division I stud athlete. I don't care if it's a male or a female who has years of competition and training to continually push them through these high level drills without looking at how they move and working on the fine tuning of that movement, they're really not doing anything to get better. They're just grinding and that sense of embrace the grind, which in my mind is meaningless work, is personified by that, where you have an elite first round draft pick NFL player and they're doing these drills and they're fast as heck and they look like they move well, but when you break it down and you look at the small things that matter, what, what's happening when the foot hits the ground, what's the alignment of the foot, how is their body position, what are they doing with their arms when they run, what is their posture like, that gets lost because it's this Adonis-type body-beautiful figure who's doing things that most of us only can dream about. But at the end of the day, no one's looking at actually how they move to make them better at it. They're already good enough with their flaws because the young body is great at accommodating and making up for things that the body can't do as well as it could do, right? We're not talking about perfect. We, you know, that's the old Vince Lombardi, you know, saying you strive for perfection and hope for a level of excellence, something along those lines. Those athletes should be working on real details, not just going out again and seeing how many crazy drills we could do in an hour and a half workout or how much weight we could lift. Yeah. You know, the point you hit on, and that goes back to our society here in sports with these young kids too. And it really ties into all the injury stuff we've talked today from the Yankees uh, to the ACL. Um, there's such an inertia for immediate success here with our young kids, parents, coaches, 
that it's at the expense of development 100% of the time. And I had a chance to watch as much as we're involved with this, whatever people believe in the world today between Russia and China. Um, I've had a, I had a chance to observe the way they develop their gymnasts. And I have never seen more of a snail's pace in terms of just meticulous uh, detail to the slightest movements, posture, mobility, before they're allowed to do any type of intricate or even semi-intricate movement. And as a result, when they get the finished product, I mean, they are just pristine in terms of the yeah. way they, they do their stuff. And and I think our society is so, so much in a hurry. You know, we got the, we want to be on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, you know, just blasting out what our kid did with some crazy Kyrie Irving move or, you know, some new hitting drill or the soccer move that, I mean, none of the foundations there. Right. And, and, and those athletes need someone with a critical eye that's going to say, you know what, you're an amazing athlete, but you're, when your feet hit the ground, it's the wrong, if they're in the, it's, it's wrong. It's bad. We have to fix that before we worry about any other nonsense. Yeah. How much you bench press. No one cares. You'll, that, they'll never bench press again and have it mean anything other than be put on a video. Yeah. Yep. That'll be on, on uh, social media. Well, Sal, another great show. Um, I came, I got four SAT words today. You always, I always get to improve my vocabulary. I, I get smarter, not just base uh, sports wise, but worldly with our conversations. So I appreciate what you do for the show. Um, and, and I asked your last parting shot. You, that was your last parting shot with the audience that you got it. You yeah. Hit it. Okay. Good deal. Well, to our audience out there, I know everybody loves Sal's show. It's a little different than the other shows we have on the network. It takes you, we go in and out of sports and I think it ties in great. I want to thank those, those faithful subscribers, 17,100 subscribers plus from 72 different countries, grassroots, all the way to major league front offices. We're just trying to build better baseball IQs, sports IQs. And in the case today, a little worldly knowledge going on. I think we touch on worldly knowledge all the time. Hit us up on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher as a streaming device, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'll interact with one one audience member a day live, and the rest I'll get back to privately. A little over 300 today um, messages, so I got going early today. So I have not put the live one yet. I'm still kind of waiting to see what we do. But just a reminder to our audience, uh, we go pretty deep here, and just be prepared like us to embrace the uncomfortable truth. We're going to hit that every show. You know, you know, our program just has no time for those comfortable lies. So with the hot corner with Coach Sal, this is episode 164. Sal, great job today, buddy. Have a Thanks, great week. Dave. Look forward to next week. Have a good weekend. Me too.